We're continuing our look at the story of, of Joshua. Um, I don't know if, if you're anything like me. Um, moment of honesty again. Sometimes, maybe you're not like me. Maybe when God's word is read out, you're all over it and you're in on every single word. But just in case you're not, I'm going to recover some of that ground because that, that was quite a distant story, wasn't it, from everything that we're used to. So I want, I want to, to sort of bring it into focus um, as much as I can. Um, it's, quite, it's quite a change in status for this little nation of Israel. They've, they'd been on the... Since we first really read about them in Genesis 12, I think it's the first time we, we read about Abram, they'd been on the fringes and they just always sounded like this vulnerable bunch of people making their way through the world. Like at any moment, it wouldn't even take a big nation. It could just be a storm that could put an end to them. And we reach this point, so chapter 9 of Joshua, I would put it down as a bit of a marker and say this is the point in the story when Israel's status has changed. They're not, they're not the vulnerable anymore. Have a look at the text, verse 1 and 2. Um, now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Med, Mediterranean, I'm trying to, trying to be cool, Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So what's happened here, these, the big guns, and we know, this, we know this from our own culture, whenever there's an alliance of countries, it's a serious thing. So whenever the Brits and the Americans and everybody else gang together, we're worried about whoever it is. And if we don't gang together, you can pretty much go, we're not that worried. But they all gang together, so they're worried about Israel. It's a new dynamic. They're all looking on at what's happened in AI and what's happened in Jericho, and there's fear. So they're looking for what to do. Now, the bit of the story we're looking at, we're not looking at any of those tribes. We're looking at the Gibeonites. And maybe they didn't get an invite to this treaty. Maybe they just didn't, their faces didn't fit, but they're pretty nearby. And they are obviously fearing what's coming, and they resort to what I think it says in the text is a ruse. So let's, did you spot what the ruse was? Let me read it out to you again. Let's go over it again. However, so this is verse, second half of verse 3. Uh, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended, they put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. That's the kind of plan that I would dream up. It's a rubbish plan, I think. When you look at it like that, it's like a B plan. It's like, this can't be, this can't be your, is this your plan? You're just going to roll around in the mud. You're going to make your hair look a mess. You're going to wear worn-out sandals. You're going to take your moldy bread, and you're going to think you're going to win Joshua over doing this. But you see, they knew something. These people were rigidly stuck to the law. They obeyed this law. We know that because we can think back to week one when Paul talked to us about Joshua 1.8, where God says to Joshua, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night, so you'll be careful to do everything written inside of it. Then you'll be prosperous 
and successful. They knew that about Joshua. And I think the Gibeonites were onto this. They knew that he'd obey all this. And there's a little clause, I guess. There's a little get out for these people. And it's in Deuteronomy 20. If you, don't, if you think I'm making it up, you can check that later or check it on your phones. And it, it talks about cities that are at a distance from, from uh, Israel, where they're at just now. And it says, if you're a city of, at a distance, you can make a treaty of peace. So they're onto the, this and they're like, man, if we, if we can just convince them that we're from, not from around here, then, then they'll go with us. And it, was, it's, and it worked. This treaty, you know, they, they, they give them this B-plan movie and, and the Joshua and his team uh, went for it. And then they had this moment of realization a couple of days later. And, it's, and I, I don't know if, the, if, the, if, if Joshua's head of security got the sack the next day for not realizing what had gone on. But they had this moment of realization that they were just from around the road. Do you ever have those moments on holiday when you, you bump into a, some people, you get to know them, and they say to you, oh, we're from Leeds? Or York. I've done this. When people ask me where I'm from, you think, oh, they're not know where I'm, where I'm really from. So you say, oh, I'm from just south of York because I like a bit of pretense. I want to give off something that I'm not really. And a couple of days in, they'll see the garb I'm wearing or the chat I've got, and they'll go, are you from Cass? Somewhere like that. They'll just see right, th- right, right through you. And this is what's happening in this story. The Israelites, having spent a couple of days with them, went, they're not from some mystical distant country. They're from just up the road we've been had. They've done us over, and they'd made this treaty of peace. When God had told them to go and take this land, it was too late. They'd made this treaty of peace, and they were in a dilemma. This people were to be taken, and by deception, they'd got, a, they'd got this promise that they were going to be okay, and it, and it left them with this awkward gap, this awkward position. And Joshua, faced with this, all these people have sinned and we need to make progress and we need to honor God, we need to mark this sin. They make the people what? They make them water carriers and woodcutters. They give them the rubbish jobs. They mark them out. They say, here's here's the way we're going to get around this. You you people of Gibeon, and I bet, it, I bet it felt all right for a couple of days. You're not going to get destroyed. I bet you're like, yeah, I'll carry the water. But in a few generations, how, how's that going to feel? You're the subservient people. A couple of generations down the line, maybe even a couple of weeks down the line, you're going to be struggling. Now, here's the, here's the question you've got, because that's, that's the whole text. That's what we've got to work with today. And you're going to be looking at me going, right, well, all right, but I, why should I care about that? What I'm... You know, I've got a busy life. Um, I'm three episodes into a box set that's going to change the rest of my life. I can't stop thinking about it right now. I just want to get back and watch it. Why should I engage with these Gibeonites who have been forced to become woodcutters? I've 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 not even got compassion for the guy at the end of my street. I'm not going to have compassion for some Gibeonites that have got to chop wood and carry water. Why should I engage with this? Well, here's why. This is a story, ultimately, this is a story about the legacy of a word that the Bible uses called sin, missing the mark of God. This is, this is about the legacy and the mess of that. So, so don't listen unless, 
Have you ever felt like the, the mess that your life gets into, the mess that you get in, or the mistakes that you make and perpetuate, it's not that there's nothing to do with you, but it just feels like you've gotten dragged along with it. Felt like it was kind of inevitable. Felt like there was just this sweep and you just got stuck in the middle of it. And you can't get away from that. You'd do anything to get out of that, but you're just stuck there. You perpetuate the mess. Have you ever felt like that? If you have, that's ever been you. If you feel like that could be your story, then you should listen. There's kind of two, two points I think I want to make, two, two places I want to stop off at in terms of this story. The first, the first one is this. Bible says, this is the Bible agenda here, so I'm going to sort of present that to you, that sin, missing God's mark, life without God, life ignoring his plan, this is, this is your big problem in life. I'm going to try and make this point. Sin, missing the mark of God, that's the big problem, and we don't see it. So you think about this storyline. This is God's people. Their job is to be holy. We're going about being a light, don't we, to, to everybody else. That's our calling. That was their calling. They were to be this light. And these, lit, these I mean, it's a t it looks like a tiny thing, doesn't it? These are just, why should we worry about this story? These are just a, a different bunch of people coming amongst the Gibeonites just, just hanging out. Is that, is that such a big story? Do you know what's going to happen a few generations down the line to God's people? This set apart, holy I'm calling you to be holy so the rest of the world can see what holiness looks like so they can get to know me. This bunch of people are going to end up having religious services that involve child sacrifice, orgies, things like that. Just incredible sin, just going completely off the wall. And the Bible presents us with this picture. And we kind of look at sin and we go, and I'm a pastor and I do this. You look at it and you go, oh, it's not... It's not always that big deal. The Bible says, man, sin is, sin is the problem. Sin is the really big deal, and, and we don't see it, and we miss it. So I want to give you a couple of examples just so you can go, all right, maybe he's got a point. So first of all, um, and these were just two sort of issues that came up over the last, that I noticed on the news feeds and that over the last couple of weeks, and I, and I, and I watched the debate on Question Time, but if you're younger, you will have noticed it on Twitter or social media or whatever. It was on knife crime, the issue of knife crime. That, that came up and they're all gassing about it on Question Time and I'm you know, checking the Twitter feed. And this is, this is the kind of thing that we do with the thing that's an issue is that we, we dissect it and we look to try and resolve it. So on knife crime, there was a bunch of stuff like we talked about family breakdown. We talked about the fact we didn't have role models. There was inequality. There's not enough opportunity. There's not enough youth clubs, there's boredom. I even heard a guy say that knives were too readily available, which I thought that's an odd thing to say. And Asda actually took knives off their shelves. But we never, we never got beyond these things. We never dug any deeper than that. We never got near the conclusion that there might be an innate problem with people, that there might be something wrong with us. We just talked all around the issue. And, it's, and we're, in a, we're in a progressed society, and I'm thankful that we debate at all. But that's what we did. We debate, we debate it all out. We cut it all up, and we say, here's a bunch of resolutions that we could do. We could, get, we could take the knives off the shelves. We could 
um, open up some youth clubs. We could give people better role models, these sorts of things, good things. But we never get to the root. And then what happens? Some, and this is the, this is the curse of sin, and this is how big a deal it can be. Some guy or girl grabs a knife happening around us now, and they go and they take the place of God. They don't love their brother. They're filled with greed, and they take a life, and then a hundred other people need to get knives. A thousand other people round about live in total fear. Anyone who's a parent with kids live on tenter hooks, and this thing called sin, I would suggest, just becomes this huge, big problem, and we don't Look at it like that. We don't get it like that. The other one, and this again, this was just the, ne the next issue that came along, um, and I don't want to get on my soapbox too much. I know I, sometimes I get on my soapbox, um, but uh, plastic, it's, it's the big issue at the moment, isn't it? And it's, and it's like, it, I'm, I'm encouraged that we're trying to resolve it. I look around and we've been ingenious about it, and we're going, here's the problem. We need, we're doing this, 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 and this to try and fix it, and you know, we've been really smart. There's some really good initiatives about it, but we never, we never make the assessment that maybe human beings are just, gr just greedy. You know, that never comes up on Question Time or Twitter. We don't ever just go, man, hang on. People just want more stuff than they can manage. They're just a bit, we're just a bit greedy. There's just something a bit wrong with us. We never get to that point. Sin, this is the first stop off. Sin, and I know I sound a bit old school preacher when I use that word. Missing God's mark, ignoring God's plans, not leaving room for him, forgetting him in the storyline. This is, this is the big problem. This is your big problem. This is, this is your family's problem. This is your neighbor's problem. This is your MP's problem. This is our PM's problem. Sin is the big problem. First point. Second point. And I need to say this because people like me, people who stand at the front, open up the Bible and preach, we've got this wrong loads of times. We, and maybe I've just done it a little bit now, I hope I've not done it too much, we really simplify what sin is and we stand above the lectern and look down our noses and go, yeah, it's really obvious what sin is. You've done this and that's what's wrong and that's why you're messed up. Sin, I think, the more, the more I study the Bible, the more I read it, sin is a complex thing. Look at this sin that, that we have in the story in front of us. The Gibeonites see their end, essentially. They see, they see that they're going to get done over. They see that they're going to lose their land. And they, they resort to a ruse. They tell lies. And the consequence is that for the rest of of their days, that's how the Bible projects it, that they're going to have the rubbish jobs. That's the consequence. That's how we're going to get around this issue of sin. That's how we're going to mark it. That is what sin is like. This horrible legacy that we try our best to try and work out. It's complex. It's, and I don't know if you've ever felt like this. And I'm not, I'm not for a second taking personal ownership away from this, but does it, has it ever felt like the, the mess that you're in, the mistakes you perpetuate, were just part of this big, this big pattern in the world that was already going on? That's what sin is like. We live in a, in a country, let's, you know, let's say we, we live in a country that's just got a, a bit of prejudice in it. 
We live in a, a crowd of people that's just a bit racist. We live amongst a society and a culture that's just a bit greedy. There's this flaw that we get caught up with. That's what sin is like. It draws us in and it messes us up and, and the consequences of it are everybody. And the, the thing that we do is we look at it and I say we, I, I think we, we look at it and we go, with sin, you go, oh, it's that, that's the problem, sort that, and there's no more sin here. Let me give you a couple of examples about why it's, it's more confusing than that. I, I, in fact, I bang on about this quite a bit. When I was in Motherwell at Bible school, we worked at a, an, an alcoholics drop-in center, and I remember my first night there, I judged everybody that came in. Christian going to work in the drop-in center, every, every alcoholic that came in, I was straight away, I was like, I know what your problem is. You're just copping out with the drink. I know what your problem is. I know what your problem is. I didn't like anybody there first night. I, they, by the time I'd finished, a year later, there wasn't one single one of these people whose backstory, whose context, didn't break my heart, didn't make me think, man, by the grace of God, I'm not you. Everybody had a backstory. It was complex. In the news at the moment, there is a girl, woman, called Shamima Begin. You'll have heard of Shamima Begin, I think, the ISIS um, war bride. And on first view, I look at that story and I go, I know where your problem is. I know where your error is. And I even, I'm even quite angry and angst about it all. And we can talk about that after. There's maybe some right in that. And then I hear the story about her baby passing away. And then I go, I don't know what to do with that. If that baby lives, how, how, does, that, how does that child ever get out of that, that pattern and that path? How does it ever break out of that? How does that child not become a terrorist? How is it not filled with anger, and then I look at that story and I see the pattern of this world covered in sin, and you trace the story back and back and back and back and back. When I look at, when I look at this story in Joshua, the end of chapter 9, the story that I've dealt with, and I see these, these Gibeonites that end up punished as, as woodcutters and as water carriers, I read that story and I think, I'm not I am not satisfied with how we've dealt with that. I'm not happy. I'm uncomfortable with that. I see the sin. I see that we've got to mark it. I see that Joshua's got to do something to honor God. But I see a bunch of people getting punished forever. And I look at it and I go, I'm not satisfied with that. And I li like, I'm a geeky Christian. Joshua's a bit of a hero of mine. But in this story, all that you're left thinking is, man, we, we need a better Joshua than the Joshua that we've got. I'm going to leave you with one more story. So, so far I've left you hanging. Sin's, your, sin's, sin's the problem, and it's complex, and we're not happy with how we deal with it. I'm going to leave you with, with one more story, because, because this is the end of Joshua chapter 9. This is the end of this little bit of the story of the Gibeonites, but it's not the end of the story of God. It's not the end of the story of God and his people, and it's not the end of these little tribes of people who hung around Israel. I want to introduce you to, to one other character. 
a character that you'll know. It's in John 4. I, mean, I was going to put it up, but it's a long story, so I'll try and paraphrase and give you the story. Now, she it was the woman at the well. She was a water carrier as well. She was from Samaria. Now, we know Samaritans now as people who are good on the phone, but in the Bible, that's not how we knew them. They were marked as people who had messed up and were covered in sin, and they, and, and they were marked off as these people. And when Jesus met this Samaritan lady, there was a sense in which she could never kind of mingle with, with God's people because of the consequence of her ancestors. She was marked by that. That wasn't her only problem. If you go back and read through John chapter 4, you'll see that she had sexual sin coming out of her ears. She had partners galore, four or five, something like that. And you see, you see this woman and you kind of go, I know what your problem is. That's, I reckon that would be my first protocol. I'd look at her and go, yeah, I know, I know right away what your problem is. I'd point my finger at her. You see her trapped in the legacy of sin. I guess, I guess if she walked through the door and she was looking for pastoral care from me or Paul, I'd, I'd talk to her and I'd break it all down with her. We'd, we'd, we'd do what human beings do in a good way, and we'd dissect all the problems. And she'd turn around at some point and say to me, you've got no idea what's been going on in my life to get me to this place. You've got no idea. This, this is what sin's like. This is what sin does. It's this horrible sticky mess that covers the earth and grabs us. Jesus does a couple of things that only Jesus can do. Here's what he does. and He looks her in the eye and because, because he's the word, because he's eternal, because he knows the beginning from the end, because because, because he saw, the, he could look at the whole of human history and put it all together just like that. And he can see this web of sin and he can see it at its origin and he can see the mess that it's covered. And he can see, he can look this woman in the eye and he can see, well, I can see where you fit into this. I can see what's happened here. Now we can just get the end bit and we can maybe help a little bit. Jesus can see the whole story and he can look her in the eye and say, this problem that you've got, this is a sin thing. It might look like a bunch of other things. There's a bunch of other things going on. Ultimately, I know what this is. I've seen this before. This is a sin issue. This is a sin thing. The other thing he can do that we can't do, he can look her in the eye because he's the Word of God. He was there at creation. He knows what human beings are made for. He knows their good purposes. He knows what a life looks like, you and me look like, without this mess of sin around us. And he can look this woman in the eye and he can say to her, leave this. Or as he would say to other people, why don't you follow me? I know what this looks like. There's help here. Only Jesus can do that. Three really simple points. Sin Sin's your, sin's your big problem. And you'll forget it tomorrow. 
as I will, and we'll dissect everything and look at it another way, but sin is your big problem. And I'm not being trite about it either. And I'm trying not to get in my soapbox because I know it's complicated. I know that we could have a conversation, you can turn around and look at me and go, you've got no idea what my life's like. This was always going to happen to me. My life was always going to be like this. And all I've got up my sleeve is to point you to a man who I would say is God, who sees eternity, who was before time and after time and can look you in the eye and say, this is a sin thing. I know the way you need to go. I know what you were created for. I know what your ultimate purposes are. There's a way out for you.